Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. I am very excited today to bring you uh, my interview with Megan Chaika, uh, co-founder of Stathletes. Uh, she is a leader in the business and hockey ops world uh, and startup world. I'm very excited as I learned from someone, one of the up-and-coming minds, female minds in hockey. Uh, she's very ambitious. She's very um, goal-oriented. And I'm very excited to share some of the lessons we both learn uh, from one of the business leaders in hockey here today. Thank you for joining us. So Megan, happy Sunday. Uh, thanks for joining me. I know you're at the office and we got another uh, plenty of hockey, no shortage now that we're you know in the conference finals. I'm, I appreciate uh, you having some time to sit down and talk. Yeah, of course. And I should say this firsthand too, is I have so many podcast uh, requests, but you had asked me forever ago now. So I'm glad we could finally get this going because you know, it's been crazy off season, off season, uh, summer. So really nice to chat. No kidding. And I mean, I feel like everything was a zoom call for a while there. Like if I wanted to talk to my mom and dad, it was a zoom meeting, you know, that kind of thing. But so I appreciate you spending more time on the screen. Cause I know on your, you know, day-to-day -day work with athletes that, you know, you are spending a lot of time on computer screens and things like that. So I appreciate, uh, I appreciate yeah, absolutely. Time. No problem. So let's start there. Cause I think if I could learn two things, Megan today is I want to learn more about statistics and hockey in, in general. Um, and then I would like to sort of in the, I guess that once we establish the groundwork and the origin of, of who you are and, and what you're all about, maybe have a conversation together as if, as if I were like a, a working GM, right. And we were working together as, as coworkers of, trying to help me understand how your background might go about making decisions uh, in hockey and the day-to-day -day operations. I think it'd be a cool sort of exercise. Okay, that um, sounds awesome. So in terms of Stathletes, you're the co-founder. And what is Stathletes and, and what are you doing in the hockey world, in the hockey space, in the tech space? Yeah, and I guess, you know, going back to that tech space, I never really set out to be, you know, in hockey or in sports in general. I mean, I was in school for quite a while. Uh, I went to a few universities, just really interested in education, um, not so much as an ends, like having a paper, but like as a means, like learning about more areas, trying to see like what's new and innovative, how I can incorporate that in, into my career. So I always did pit business pitches. Actually, one of the first ones we did uh, was for baby bottles, like healthy baby products. Um, this is like 12, 13 years ago. So it was even before like Jessica Alba started a billion dollar honest baby yeah, company. Goop and all those. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a fan. I'm kind of a fancy millennial that way with the avocado <laughs> toast and the, you know, clean organic cleaning solutions and all that. I'm into it. Yeah. And my mom is very much that way. So she was always on me. Like you need to start better companies that like help people be healthier day to day. Like she's the type of person that's, you know, in the gardens picking sprouts in like December. You know, and if you know Toronto weather, you know, yep. Ontario weather, it's freezing. But she's just all about like local, organic. So that was sort of my my start to like entrepreneurship was, OK, I'm going to like revolutionize like the, the health sector, bring it mm -hmm. into tech, whatever. 
uh, won some competitions, but you know, it didn't really have legs in terms of like the amount of capital we needed for like a product type company. So started learning more um, on like the analytics, stat side, math side, uh, had some jobs with the government, um, worked for a Fortune 500 company in analytics and learned a lot like from enterprise. You know, this was a I don't know, $37 billion top line company. So you can imagine the type of like software applications and data mm-hmm. sets and, you know, engineers they had working for them. So I took a lot of like my learned experiences into sports and in particular hockey. Um, and I feel like that just helped me leverage, you know, what I had seen um, work in other sectors and, and bring it into a sport that, you know, is a bit more traditional, conservative, uh, a bit is? slower moving. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It, it's, it's a beautiful part of the game, but I do think uh, it, it's, it's time for, you know, an evolution of the sport. And I think, you know, more and more owners are, are hiring around the analytics team, starting to build out, you know, and arm their GMs and coaches with some of this information. Um, and I love that you tell the background too, of how you started in, in another space and also just with a fortune 500 company. It's not like you just came out of nowhere and just launched this hockey stats company. <laughs> like yeah, you, exactly. You, know, you put your work just, in and another. It's sometimes a perception, right? Is that people just yeah. sort of roll out of bed and think, okay, I'm going to do this today. And you know, it's not the case. I mean, every success story usually has, you know, years and years of hard work and, and different expertise. So, um, yeah, it's nice to chat about it because we, we rarely get the chance to. Yeah, no kidding. So in terms of where you want to go with the company next, like what are you currently doing for uh, teams and the companies and clients that you work with? I won't ask you to disclose them because I know that stuff's secret sauce. But in terms of... Uh, if you're a player GM agency team and they approach athletes, like what is that conversation like in terms of what you can do for them? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're fortunate that, you know, we've been doing this for about 10 years. So we do have a lot of scale. I mean, we track data and service like over 22 leagues worldwide. So we have clients in Europe, we have, you know, NHL, we do, you know, league deals, we work with, uh, you know, what people would consider some of the best players in the world. So we, you know, we do consulting on that side too. Mm -hmm. Like you said, agents, trainers, I mean, everyone's trying to get a competitive advantage, especially in sports, right? You want to win, you want to know how you can win. You want that information, whether it's an agent working with a player wants to get better. Obviously all GMs, coaches, you know, their jobs are on the line. Uh, It's very high stakes. Winning could mean you know, whether you have a job or not the next year. So I think people are a lot more receptive, right, to to information or insights. And when you talk about like analytics, I like to think it more of like sport tech, not just numbers, but how Mm. you can incorporate all sorts of different technology into understanding player movement, you know, actions, um, what leads up to to good scoring goal, you know, chances. It's not just you know, taking a couple data points and saying this, this player's bad or not. And I think that was a perception, you know, five to 10 years ago. And in other sports, I feel like they've, you know, really figured that out and leveraged it. And I'm just sort of hoping that hockey, you know, has, uh, has a bit more of an open mind too in the next five to 10 years to really not only take it to the next level for their players, but also the fans to understand more about the game. Yeah. And I love the, when you say that, because one of the things you did over quarantine was you did the hockey analy- analytics night in Canada, which I thought was really cool, just with the world and the amount of chaos that was going on. Um, 
you know, I really appreciate you throwing your stake in the ground and saying, Hey, I'm going to do something productive, something educational, trying to bring, you know, different voices that may not always be, uh, have access to the same rooms together, you know, where, where people can get together. Um, what was that event like? And what, you know, what was your experience there? So I actually host it almost weekly now, and we've had anyone from like the NFL league office, like the director of analytics, put together a panel, wow. uh, major league baseball, advanced media, put together what they do. So like Hawkeye, you know, technology, seeing how someone swings a bat, um, they can get, you know, into as much detail as like what types of pitches these were because of spins and like things that, you know, years ago we would have guessed, is that a cutter? Is that a slider? Now they can tell with technology and group them together. So you think of hockey too, right? When you talk about like a slap shot versus a snapshot versus a wrist mm -hmm. shot, who actually has a wrist shot in the, the NHL. That's something that we could learn from, you know, MLB and things that they have done. So yeah, every, every week I learn something new and for sure bringing like industry experts. A lot of people have like PhDs in different, you know, um, areas. And I think it's just really cool to uh, have a low barrier to entry. Like typically, you know, if you're going to Harvard or Yale or Stanford, you know, you're paying a ton of money. It's a very select few people that can, you know, afford and get in. Whereas this is just open. It's free. You can join it from anywhere. I've tried to keep up the recordings and I feel, you know, just it helps everyone understand a little bit more about sport tech analytics. It's not that scary. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot that we can learn from it that we haven't in hockey. Yeah, I love that because as a player, I feel like I kind of am doing this statistical analysis, you know, day in, day out through a season. Um, you know, but one of the challenges I find and and I have hired outside consultants to go over video, you know, with me in season, that kind of thing. And what I find is the schedule, the pace is so quick that all of a sudden a habit or something that it can be good or bad, a, a good part of your game can really settle in and you, you don't necessarily even realize how, how well you're doing it. Or something negative can sort of set in. So like, for example, I remember there was like a three or four game stretch where I was talking with a video coach I work with here in Chicago, a uh, guy named Brian Keene with uh, Prodigy Hockey. We have a good uh, relationship and totally static at the blue line. I just was not, you know, that's one of my skill sets, being able to move, uh, be elusive there and, and, and get, you know, a nice shot on net. And I was just kind of handling a puck, turning and, and, and firing right away. And all of a sudden... All it was, it was like for a week I was off, but that's three games. Like that's, you only get so many looks as a D man. Like, you, you know how difficult it is. And I, I also love the statistics side in terms of trying to identify what actually leads to success versus what you think might be successful. So for example, uh, there was a particular coach I was, I was playing with that wanted us to shoot immediately. Uh, just wanted us, you know, as soon as the puck came from goal line to the blue line, Pound it immediately. Uh, don't dust it off was the terminology. Hammer it right away. And finally, I just had a frank conversation with Brian, you know, who did do some statistical analysis. He's like, hey, at the end of the day, your coach wants the puck at the net. He wants your forwards to have a chance to tip it. You can do whatever you want, but these are the statistics right now and your success at doing that. And this is where, you know, when you are able to move your feet and wrist a puck there, these, this is your success rate versus this is just, you know, pounding it right away. and I started to kind of, I don't want to say disobey, but I started to go back to what I was, my skill set, my strong suit was. Overnight, you know, coach was no longer concerned about the way I was handling a puck at the blue line, and it kind of freed me up, 
you know, it, it uh, gave us both what we wanted, even though it wasn't necessarily on the exact terms that we had set out for. Right. Yeah. And I think that's one of the issues with sport in general is like everyone has their own perception, right? And what they're trying to work towards. Like a player obviously wants to play as best as they can, but you also have a coach, you have their systems, you have tactics, you have, you know, you have competing interests. Um, mm -hmm. But the one main interest is you want to win. So I think like having that value proposition of everyone buying it to like what winning means and still, uh, you know, incentivizing players to do what they do well. You know, you don't want to lose what you did well in junior and be in the NHL and be a fringe player that's getting, you know, sent down and up. Right. It's yeah. it's a it's a tough game. It's the you know, the difference between like an AHL player and someone who just made an NHL squad is not very much. I mean, I think you can agree. Right. So There's slim. such marginal differences. Um, and people that are elite know they're like it's it's you know, that's the one th funny thing about analytics is sometimes, you know, we'll look at like a Connor McDavid and and of course people know why he's successful or what he mm -hmm. does well or, you know, that eye test is everyone watches his games and his plays. So that's something, you know, you don't want to beat a dead horse on it. So it's more the the marginal uh, fringe players that I think, you know, I'm going to use a, a different example from another sport, but like the NBA, uh, the Ra Toronto Raptors do a really good job at that of, you know, players that are like undrafted, yeah. uh, you know, no one thought that they would be even on an NBA squad maybe. And, you know, they win a, a world championship by trying to get the best out of every player they have. And, um, you know, definitely have a huge sport research analytics group that works behind that, too. So it's it's not a surprise that that, you know, is an outcome of really smart people uh, trying to change and help players get better. Yeah, I used to have that conversation, you know, a lot with, you know, whether it was family members trying to explain to them just how tight it is at the NHL level where. You know, some of the upper echelon players like, yes, the the eye test alone could tell you, like, Patrick Kane is very, very good. Uh, Connor McDavid is is very very special, um, but where I think you know people underestimate just how good the middle of the league is, the meatloaf, right? Like the the bottom eighty percent of the league is was. I mean, look at the Vegas Golden Knights. Even in you know their first you know their first year, I was kind of a depth player at that time. Like there was no bigger fan of them, you know, in that initial playoff run, you know, than a player like me. I was I was comparable to a lot of those guys and to see the amount of uh, guys that had career years that had success that had been in tough situations and then were having some more freedom with ice time and role in that um you know i was definitely you know cheerleading them on pretty heavy there yeah and it's not a bad run they have this year too right so i mean they've really loaded up now like they've they've been able to come from a place of strength and do really well and um they've they've done such a good job establishing an identity in terms of, you know, energy and, and attitude and how they play every night. I think they've got guys all up and down their lineup that offensively and defensively are, are better than maybe what they would initially show on paper. Like they definitely play as a five, you know, man unit. I've, I love watching them play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the playoff hockey beyond what people had thought, you know, prior to it starting has been really exciting. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, it's the one nice thing about working in the NHL is, I really, truly believe it's one of like the best products, both in person and just the speed of the game and the skill of players. And like you said, the, you know, eight seated teams can beat one seated teams on any given night. It's a very exciting uh, postseason that we had. Yeah. The parody is just, it's, it's so tight. 
And I mean, I, I can relate to that. Like literally every single night you have to take the other team seriously. There is no off night. <laughs> there is no off night. No. Every single night's got, you know, elite players all up and down their lineup. Um, it's, it's a special league. It's an honor every day to, to play in it. And, you know, that's been my focus really on this whole quarantine thing with uh, New Jersey. We've been out, but just trying to, there will be a season. This thing won't last forever. You know, we'll, we'll play eventually and just trying to be ready. But so let's talk a little bit more about the stat space where, you know, there was a quote you'd had. Um, I forget which interview it was, but you said, I think it's a lot broader of a field than maybe originally people think or is talked about in traditional media. And that's why I think it captures so many people uh, with their interest, whether they're from engineering, computer science, or math or stat side, there's a lot of different skills that go into any one topic or any one group. So I think it's just interesting to young people and students that have these types of skills. And I would, I would put myself in this category. Like I always like to go through that thought experiment. If I was not an NHL or if the, if the, my career was over tomorrow, what would I want to do? And I think I have this huge blind spot to what, statistical analysis in sport actually is, uh, what my own numbers are, um, you know, and, and how I can leverage them. And, and again, we talked about it earlier where I'm, I kind of secretly do this behind the scenes anyway, like mentally it's a part of my routine, but in terms of actually really going prone and having real clarity, um, what does, you know, that quote mean to you? I guess from my perspective, I said that because I think people think, you know, you get hired by an NHL team as an analyst. There's only one way to do things. There's only, you know, certain models and that's the answer. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. I mean, there's all sorts of different data sets. There's good data, bad data, more or less accurate. There's assumptions that you make um, on what's important to you, what's meaningful. Uh, now on the ice, anything you do is essentially tracked, at least from our perspective and our side. Um, and you know, a lot of this, we, we sort of took from soccer. So soccer had the problem where there's not a lot of goals. So you have to really look at even like passing and sort of like assist to, to shots, mm -hmm. um, and figure out value on that and how to understand how to quantify what possessions are best. If you are passing, is it the best pass? Should you have sh shot? Should you have passed to someone else that was open? Were you even looking at someone that was open? Um, we can tell all those things now. So we can start quantifying what, you know, maybe you know that you make this great pass like nine out of 10 times and the 10th time, it just so happened. It was in the third period, you were down by one and everyone remembers that. Uh, but does that make you a bad player when nine out of 10 times you actually make that pass? Probably not, you know, you're probably an amazing player that just was in a bad situation or made a mistake. Um, so analytics statistics can help you know, paint the entire picture. And I think with scouts too, right? You can't watch every game. You're not going to see, um, you know, a certain person in Russia, right? That's 16 play mm -hmm. against every single team. You're just going to, you know, go to a handful of games if they're on your list and figure that out. So I think, you know, data can really fill in a lot of the blind spots that we had, you know, for the last 10, 20 years and really be more sophisticated about not only how we scout, draft, and trade, but how we do player development as well. Yeah, I had an experience with that uh, earlier in my career. I remember, you know, I was kind of getting dogged on for down low defense. I'm not the biggest guy, right? I'm, you know, 5'10", maybe 200 pounds. And uh, I was, I was kind of getting talked to about, you know, being able to be heavy enough down low. You know, I wasn't being physical enough. I wasn't being abrasive enough to play against. And that was a conversation with the coach. And, you know, I was trying to listen. I was trying to do better and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, be harder to play against. And then 
you know, I realized maybe some of it was particular bias because I remember the video coach, I was, uh, you know, talking, you know, kind of to him offhand, you know, he was like, you know, you're out of the lineup tonight. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I know. And, and, you know, he's like, did, you know, coach say anything? And just kind of off the cuff, I was like, yeah, he, he mentioned down low defense wasn't being hard enough to play against. And he kind of like did one of these. And I'm like, what was that? You know, and, and maybe, you know, was a little out of character, but he goes, yeah, I, I don't know. Like in the last 10 games, I do the stats and like you average the lowest amount of time in your own end, uh, like per shift amongst all our D-men. Like in terms, so in terms of being able to get the puck pack and go break out, like I was doing really well. Um, and I think that there's a lot of, there's a gazillion different scenarios and this was years ago, uh, you know, so, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but I think as players, you, you know, we, we feel when that happens, like you're, you're, we are reflective. You want to come back and get an honest shake. And sometimes I get it. Like, you know, as coaches, as, as players, as people, we all have preferences of what we think looks good on the ice and, and it's not a perfect science. It's, you know, an art and science. And, um, I guess I've, I tip my cap and have a lot of respect for statistics because I do think there are gaps in the way we evaluate players and teams. And like, I'm curious even what my own are. Like I do the playoff analysis every year, right? Like I'm the residential hockey expert amongst my friends and family. And they'll say, Hey, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> you know, right. Like who do you think is going to win X amount of series? You know, well, I didn't, I'll tell you what, I didn't pick all four number one seeds last year losing in the first round. No. Right. Like, so exactly. where was I off? You know, I'm not, uh, you know, even Vancouver, like with the success that they had, I was talking to, uh, a young player that, you know, I ski with out here in Chicago. I kind of coach him and he's like, man, I really like, uh, you know, Vancouver. I think they're going to be sneaky dangerous, you know, against St. Louis. I'm like, I don't know, man. St. Louis is super stifling. I don't see it. You know, I was wrong. Where? Like I, I hadn't watched Vancouver a ton just because they're on the West coast. And, um, you know, but I think you have to be skeptical of your own biases. Otherwise you're a prisoner to them. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and knowing where your blind spots are, if you haven't watched them a lot, how, you know, and people just have opinions on areas that they, you know, have a selection bias. So that's what scouts do a lot too, right? They see 10 games and they show up for a couple really bad games of a player, you know, overlook them, or they show up for a couple really good games of a player, even worse and make a bigger mistake. Right. So um, I think that's, you know, a very traditional example of how, you know, your mind can trick you, whether it's like recency bias or selection bias or all of these different areas that, you know, us as humans are meant to basically like protect ourselves from like getting eaten by wildlife and making sure we eat like yep. all those things that are still, you know, in our in our brain chemistry uh, can play against us in, in sports. Yeah, that's brilliant. We do have this. uh this pattern recognition, this, this, you know, fear oriented brain of ours, it's sometimes really difficult to get out of our own way and, and try and, uh, you know, see clearly, but I was going to say, I think too, like the lifespan of some executives or coaches, right. I think in the NHL, like how long is like the average coach in their job? What is it? Two years, three years, maybe. Yeah, um, so I think there's a lot of like fear that goes on with like adapting new practices or going against the norm, um, because you're really putting your neck on the line too. Um, I guess my pitch to a lot of those coaches or people that have shorter lifespans is what do you have to lose? You know, at least you go out doing something that could pay off big time and could differentiate yourself down the road. Um, and that's kind of, you know, what I try to do. But the, but fear is a is a huge, uh, you know, motivator or or a very subconscious reminder that 
you know, sports is fickle. And if you're, you know, it's very easy to get painted as with a brush of not knowing what you're doing as well if you're trying new things. You know, I was talking with a retired player um, here recently. I was, I was trying to pick his brain a little bit about some training tactics I was trying to implement uh, this off season. And I said, uh, you know, it's a big year for me coming up. You know, it's the last year of my deal. I'll be UFA after. And, you know, we weren't happy with our season in New Jersey, you know, so everyone's going to be evaluated. And, you know, I'm really excited for the season. I'm, I'm really, you know, giving it my all here, even though there's some uncertainty still, you know, I'm going to put the work in every day and hopefully pick my head up in, you know, two months, 10 months, whenever the season is and be ready. And he, uh, and I said, you know, so what, what do you recommend on, you know, this amount of visualization? And I'm, I'm thinking about doing the skating, you know, technique work and, and I'm doing the off ice training. I was talking to him and he goes, he kind of cut me off and goes, Connor, I, I get it. Like I was that type of player when I played, I would look under every rock possible for an edge. He goes, but if you're going to have that type of pressure cooker mentality where it's got to be this big year, if you're going to have fear as an element of your mindset, like it's all irrelevant. Your nervous system will shut down, you know, game one, you can do all the skating work, all the strength training you want from, you know, June to September. But when it comes time to play, like fear is so crippling. And you've got to get that out of your system. Like, I don't know what the prescription is for you, but it's, it's got to go. Right. And I mean, that's when you start gripping your stick a bit, a bit differently. And, you know, you don't make those decisions that you would with a clear head or with, you know, the element of um, that off your back. And I, I feel like that's a, a big driver for a, a lot of people, uh, the psychology side. And we don't play in that game. There are far better people, more educated people than uh, my company, but for sure, the mental side of it is huge, right? And as players, we know, like I've been able to sense, you know, the couple of times I've been like, you can sense when things are starting to get hot, you know, for oh, a absolutely. coach and, and <laughs> their, their tempers turn a little quick. And, you know, I, I, uh, I have younger brothers that I try and, you know, quasi coach even through their career. And they'll call me from time to time. Like, yeah, coach has been, you know, super, super short with us. And, you know, I always just said, like, it's not the, the coach's job to coach you on how to coach yourself to deal with the coach. Like you've got to be, you know, you got to have a, a, a strategy, you know, you can't control so much in hockey, the other team, you can't control how your coach is going to react. Like you've got to have a plan in place for, and you know what the scenarios are. Like you haven't had a perfect season ever, you know, as, as players, we get hurt every year, you know, in some capacity, you're going to get sick. You're going to, you know, so go through the mental reps of having a plan in place for, you know, when, Shit hits the fan. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes back to like leadership as well. Like even in entrepreneurship, one of the biggest things is both managing up and down. So when I manage up, it's to like clients or leagues or people that, you know, are key stakeholders. Managing down means making sure that you're a good leader for people that are following you. So for me, it's incredibly important to, you know, be able to get the best out of people around you and for them not to be fearful, for them not to be scared, for you to give them a bit of a safety net to make mistakes, to try new things, to, you know, failure is not the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing that can happen is complacency. Uh, the worst thing that can happen is not trying, is, you know, just packing it in, having a bad attitude, hating your boss, hating each other. Uh, so I think, you know, sports mirrors a lot of like great startups and that's, you know, you're all rowing the same boat. Uh, you all want to win. You all want to play the best you can. So aligning those expectations, you know, making people up. So whether it's your coach, for me, it's, you know, it could be a coach as well. Um, you want to see them, them reach their goals too. 
uh, and being very upfront about, about expectations, right? What does that mean? And I think leadership is a very hard thing to learn. It's, you know, it's difficult. And a lot of being a great leader is not doing things that are easy. Um, so I'm here on a Sunday on a long weekend and at the do office, I have to yeah. be, you know, no, but like, I like, I like working. I like showing staff that, you know, they don't have to kill themselves, but like, if you love what you do, it's not, it's not a job, you know, you can be passionate, you can, you know, you can put yourself out there. Um, and I think you get a lot farther by, by, you know, not having that, that failure in the back of your head thinking like, what if, what if this goes right? What if this leads to something else? What if I, you know, have a new opportunity or a new client or whatever? Um, I think taking that mentality will always get you somewhere in life. Um, but it, but it's hard to cultivate, like I said. So what are you doing as the leaders to athletes? Like, what are you doing for your own leadership development skills? Like, are there coaches that you rely on? Are there industries? So, so for example, you know, uh, during a season, I actually love uh, reading like war stories. I always think like if, if you feel bad about, you know, your broken leg or whatever, right. <laughs> go read a war book. Like you'll, you'll feel real grateful for the successful surgery you just had. Um, you know, I love listening to, uh, like business podcasts. I just think the business world is, is so creative and so cutthroat. And so, you know, they come from such a place of abundance, right? Like anything could be, anything could happen. Um, so what are some resources that you lean on for your own personal development? Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it too. I spend probably like 75 to almost 90% some some weeks in the business tech world, in the startup world, in the, you know, building billion dollar company world uh, and leadership, building teams, recruiting. I'm always looking for great people, always looking for great engineers, software developers. If anyone's out there listening to the podcast, please email me if you're passionate about sports. But um you know, that's one of the the main drivers to like building a company is you need great people on your side. You need scale. You need alignment. Um, there's a lot of pressure. Sure, the stakes are high in terms of if you do have investors. We're lucky. We we don't. You know, we've we've been able to bankroll it with our with our own revenue um, mm -hmm. and been really specific about what we want to accomplish. So this has been great because I can be a leader that I truly believe in in terms of like I don't just have to make money. Uh, we can take on clients or projects that we're passionate about. We can look more to the future. Like we're doing some projects that I believe are like 10 years out. Um, and, you know, maybe to like a venture funded or another company, they'd be a waste of time because they're not getting that check next year. But I believe it'll pay off. And, you know, I think careers are long. Uh, and same with careers in hockey, right? You don't just play for for that year. You play for like, what's your future? And what who do you want to be um, as a player and as a person? So, yeah, I have mentors uh, all over the world at some of like the biggest soccer clubs um, in the world. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have business people as well. You know, being in Toronto, there's so much tech, so much openness to, you know, doing things differently. You know, we have billion dollar IPO companies like Shopify around as well. So there's no shortage of resources on how to build a great company, uh, you know, how to be a good CEO. I would say that it's never the end though. Like I always have people or, or young women especially call me and are like, how can I get to your position? And I feel like for me, I've just started, you know, being a good leader. So I think having that mentality is like, you can always learn. Um, I'm learning from you today. What's important for, for you as a hockey player sneakily, uh, you know, listening to you. So I, 
at any time I go to anything, whether it's like the IHF world, I'm in like a coaching clinic or I'm doing something else on my on my spare time to get better. And I think going in as not knowing or being humble about like your skill set, it just allows you to be open to, you know, preconceived notions that you might have had before and learning something that may go against them or, you know, connecting with someone that you wouldn't if you just stayed in your bubble and were really safe. Yeah, that's so well put. Yeah. I finally, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast was for that reason alone. I wanted to be able to reach out to, you know, ambitious, bright, uh, you know, people, whether they're athletes, business leaders, uh, war veterans, anything, anyone that I could learn from. Cause I do like to talk and, and I've finally, you know, kind of had enough conversations where I would do the majority of the talking and walk away and be like, all I did was recount what I already knew. Like all right, that sure it's 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 a skill to have. That's an important skill to be able to eloquently and clearly, you know, communicate and, and put your thoughts out there for other people to understand. But I really wanted to cultivate this ability to listen, this ability to learn from other disciplines. Absolutely, and I think that's the one thing that I've been kind of good at leveraging. Like people think that being a woman sometimes is like a big negative in sports. But I think I've been able to kind of dip in and out of different areas and not to say I'm not taken seriously, but no one worries what they say around me. So I really get their entire opinion of certain areas or people. And, you know, I just take that intelligence with me. So it's I try to see what other people would see as a problem or an issue with me into strength. That's beautiful. That's super cool. And, And I mean... You mentioned it there about working with billion dollar companies. I wanted to bring up another quote because I think it shows to your ambition. Um, and there hasn't been a, a woman in hockey raised to these sort of heights, but you had a quote where you said, I don't want to be the GM. I want to own the team. I want to be my own boss. I want to build a billion dollar company and own the team. So in terms of your dream with Stathletes and just, you know, in terms of your personal life, what is your what are the next steps to try to get there? And frankly, I also want to know, where do you want to own? <laughs> I mean, I'm open. Owners, you can call me. No, I, I mean, I even like junior hockey. I would love to own a junior hockey team. Yeah. Uh, I love the OHL. Like, I, just, I love the OHL. Oh, love it. It was, it was so important for my career because I, it was a really hard decision. It was actually probably looking back. I was committed to Michigan originally, and I had just gotten drafted to Washington. And under the notion that I was going to Michigan and kind of, I'd been working on, you know, maybe making this OHL dream happen. I always just, it was kind of like the dark side in American hockey where I just, there was this tremendous amount of intrigue. It was the place where, you know, with USA hockey, they said, don't go there. You know, that's, we go, it's division one. That was our goal. There wasn't even talk of playing in the NHL when I was a kid. It was all about getting a division one scholarship. And I slept literally under Michigan covers, Michigan Wolverine covers growing up. Oh, wow. Okay. But it just got to that point where, you know, supposed to go in and, and just the way the decor looked there, there wasn't going to be um, a whole ton of ice time available. It was going to be super, super competitive. And I just come from that sort of environment with the U S development team and, and saw how it, you know, there's pros and cons. You learn to work very, very hard and try and be your best every day, like life skill uh, things that I was able to learn for sure but I needed ice time. Like I needed to, you know, frankly play. And, and I was able to, you know, get a trade over the Plymouth Whalers and still go to school and, and do that whole thing. And it really, um, 
I loved it. The OHL was so instrumental for me at that important time in my career. Let me see if I can move my screen, but duh, what jersey's that? It looks like a Whaler jersey. All I see is the 05, though. There you Super go. Super sick. Yeah. That's why my brother got drafted to the Plymouth Whalers. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was funny. So I did this um, other interview with this young lady. It was a, a program that they tried to have young reporters, you know, interview other women. And uh, her name is Ali Vellucci. And yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's like, my dad drafted your, your brother and said he was very good, but like kind of skinny. I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Checks out. Yeah. 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 Just hired with Pittsburgh. Uh, I was going to say assistant coach of Pittsburgh. So yeah, he's done well. I mean, he was, he was instrumental, super hard on us in, in Plymouth. Really. Uh, we had a good team. We went all the way to Western conference finals and lost to the London Knights. Uh, I think it was in five or six games. We lost on a, uh, it was a goalie touch. We, we screwed up a goalie touch in overtime and, and ended up losing the series. But um, I would say Mike Vellucci was probably the most pivotal coach I had in terms of, you know, as a fifth round pick, which I was kind of disappointed with, you know, in 2012 with Washington, I, I wasn't super happy with my junior career up until that point. And then uh, we had a team and an opportunity on the blue line. We had no right shots. That was the only right shot we had. Um, and it really put me on the map. I had a playoff run with them. That was, it's probably the most fun that in the Toronto Marlies playoff run, there, there were two circumstances where like, I really knew I was making progress towards my goals as a player that was so instrumental at the time. Do you ever feel though, when you're in it, you don't realize how important or fun that part of your life is? Unfortunately, and I've tried to turn this part off. No, I've okay. always known. And okay. because I... Maybe it's because I am that reflective. Um, I, I, you were talking earlier about the beginner's mind and having a, a humble sort of vibrance to yourself. We were able to go in purposely trying to learn. And the two scenarios, those two scenarios, the London Knights playoff run and the Toronto Marlies playoff run, I was both, I was acutely aware of how important it was for me to play well. But it's almost like I got to a point of such clarity where, I knew the importance of getting out of my own way. So for example, and I, I think the X factor was I knew that I had some leash with ice time, right? Like there was not a, a the fear of failure was pretty low because I had established myself and knew that good, bad, or ugly, like I was going to get another opportunity. And that's where both circumstances, I had great clarity where if I played a game where I played well, it was, it was a confidence booster. Great. I played well. I got this. I know I'm ready for the next one. But if I played poorly, it was like the same, it was, it was like the other side of the same coin. Like I just knew that it was a part of the process. Like Connor, what did you, what did you expect? Did you expect to go through 23 playoff games straight without having one exactly. bad pass? Like what did exactly. you, yeah, and I just had happen. such great clarity and, and like beginner's mind where I knew uh, if I played well, it wasn't going to cement me where I wanted to get to. Like it wasn't going to automatically put me in the NHL the next year. Uh, but I also knew if I played poorly, it wasn't, there was no one upstairs, you know, with a red marker, like crossing my name off permanently. Absolutely. No, I hear you. And I feel like that mindset, it's really hard uh, with certain people, right? And and you're lucky that you've been able to identify that early and quickly with how you work. And I played a ton of sports growing up and my dad was always my coach and like, he still does some work with me as well. Mm. And his big thing is like every once in a while I'd get thrown in for like, I was a pitcher, so I didn't bat a ton, but I was pretty good at hitting. So I would get pinch hit. 
and I would get a bit nervous. And he's always like, you have to see this as your opportunity to win the game. Not like, oh, I might lose or whatever. You could be like the person, the the woman, the man, whatever. Um, and if you if you don't win, other people probably wouldn't either. You know, you're the best option. Like, go kill it. And yeah. I feel like I've taken that in business a lot as well, whether it's a speech, a pitch. It's like, what do you have to lose? You are, you already don't have it, right? So the only thing you can do is gain. So it is so energizing because I, I do do that sometimes with performance anxiety where, you know, it's easy to get into a loop where you are nervous about the consequences. I've been in out of NHL lineups. Like I, the margin for error is tight. Like I remember there was a point where I think the team, and I'm not saying it was because of me because it wasn't because of me, but you know, sometimes coaches will uh, move forward with winning lineups just because they won. But I remember there was a point where I think our club was 14 and two through however many games with, me in the lineup and I, I couldn't stay in still. So, you know, it's easy to, when you're in the margins of, of an NHL lineup to start to doubt, start to uh, make sure you're doing enough. And then, you know, one of the questions I'll ask myself that's so energizing is like, well, what if this goes perfectly? Like, what if my dream actually were to come true? What if I were to have one and one tonight, you know, bang home a, a one timer on the backside and, and, you know, have a nice fake shot from the top, you know, and find a nice off net you know, tip option. And that is so energizing, like right and through here that you, if you can get to a place of stillness, where you can have the time to ask yourself that question in the heat of the moment, I think, you know, the right answers and the right feelings will come to you. Yeah. And I think it's a, those are really scary people to compete against as well. Like, I feel like I'm not sure if it's the same on ice, but definitely in business, when people are at peace with themselves and are willing to you know, go to those lengths and have that energy, you, you know, they're going to win. It's just one, you know, and it, and it looks differently. Like, you know, your career might look different in 10 years. So, so might mine, hopefully I'm owning an OHL team and, and winning the Memorial cup, but, um, you know, you can make big goals, uh, and still enjoy the day to day and still enjoy where you are. So what are some habits that you have to, to help you do that year in, year out? Like what are, uh, some goal setting uh, habits that you have? What are some things that you do personally for maybe your health, physical or mental, you know, to be able to stay at your top of, of your game so you can think, you know, it's almost like, uh, like be your best self, right? You can be above the line um, or you're able to, to think long-term and project out instead of like that fearful based, you know, what's for lunch next? I'm, I'm, I'm hangry or I'm underslept, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll split that into two parts. So one is like goal setting. And then the second is sort of, you know, your own uh, mental and physical health. So with goal setting, I definitely have micro goals, but I look long term too. So one year, five year, 10 year, who do I want to be? It's more about who I want to be than what I want to accomplish. Because I think if you're the best version of yourself, like I said, I think the sky's the limit. I, I really, truly believe people that, you know, are hungry to get better, work hard, good things happen to them, right? You be a good person, you're empathetic, you care about people, genuinely care, people will care about you. Um, I don't like to live in the cynical cutthroat world of business. It just doesn't do it for me. Uh, I kind of remove myself from those type of people, people that play games, people that are political. I don't run my company like that. And I don't value that in other people, to be honest. You know, I'm very straightforward. Uh, I like people who want to be the best versions of them, th their self. Um, so that's what I, I look for in who I am and, you know, setting those goals for what do I have to do today? Everything's calendared for me. I don't leave things up to 
you know, figuring out day to day what I do. I know I wake up, I check my calendar and I accomplish those goals and I crush them and I move on. Um, and then I have like check-ins, you know, six months a year. Where am I? Am I doing what I want to do? Um, right now, I'm also a data scientist in residence at, at mm-hmm. the biggest university in Canada. I also teach a sports analytics course. Uh, I've taught at a graduate level. We're doing, I did a hackathon on women's data this summer, uh, hockey data with some graduate students. So, you know, I do a lot of things that are kind of like off the grid too, that people, you know, don't typically see on my social media. Uh, they don't talk about me in the media in terms of that. Um, but I think that that makes the type of person you are because you take those experiences, those relationships, those, you know, things you learn from that and you use them in, in other roles and other places. So, um, and then on the, the health side, uh, kind of like how we were talking, uh, about before my mom, my brother, my whole family is very into health, fitness, nutrition. Um, so we walk a lot, we talk a lot on walks, we use food as medicine, you know, we try to be as clean and uh, thoughtful about what we put in our body. Um, I really feel like some executives do the opposite of that, right? Um, you know, they they travel a lot. And I was to blame, honestly, before COVID, I was I had a pretty bad um, schedule flying a lot, not treating myself as well as I should. And I, I think your mood and um, your ability to be the to be a great person, um, you know, changes when you don't treat yourself well and are as healthy as you can be. So try to work out a lot, do a lot of like functional type fitness too. You know, I think as you age, you know, you see that where people who have done yoga, you know, that are like in the Himalayans and walk and find their own food, you know, within walking distance, they live to a hundred and they're at peace and they're happy. And you know, people in Greece that live the longest, they've done so many studies on like the fish they eat and the diet they have and the healthy fats. And I feel like North America and especially the US, uh, you know, fried fast. We want it now. We want more. We want money. It's an inconvenience, right? Your health is just something that gets in the way. It's- exactly. Exactly. But like, I always read that quote where, you know, if you don't put in the time now, you put in the time for for unhealthiness, right? You have to take pills. You have to you know, you're out of commission, you're sick. Um, and I, I honestly see that in my mom, like she's never sick. I don't think she took a day off in like 40 it's days, sprouts. 40 years of working. Yeah, I'm gonna have to see if uh, your mom can spare some sprouts when we're on the road in Toronto <laughs> next year. I'll say, hey, I, I'm low on, on yeah. my what I need for my smoothie. Can you help me out? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's a, I, I honestly think that executives and any people wanting to compete in startups, like, that's it could be a huge advantage, you know, just getting good rest, getting good exercise. Um, well, and it's a time and energy multiplier, you know, like the, I've, I've recognized it even in my career. So I'm not a player or an athlete that can, and, and, and you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure you've been around him and your brother's been around him, but you know, the, the player that can eat whatever and still show up and have McDonald's the night before the game and feel great and play 30 minutes, not even sweat and, and that kind of thing. But you do find that those types of players, like it catches up to them eventually. And one of the things I've been really grateful for is at a young age, you know, I was introduced that, you know, nutrition matters for your sport performance. And, you know, like I remember the first nutritionist talk I ever got, you know, uh, I can't remember her name. I was probably five or six and she's given this speech about, uh, pop, pop is bad for you. It's filled with sugar. Don't drink it. That was it. Like no moss for me, like done that day. I remember, uh, you know, I was always an intense sort of type A kid. Uh, my dad, we had this RV and we used to drive it to the, these rinks for the weekends where you play five, six games in a weekend. 
And my dad goes, you know, hey, Connor, check the freezer. I, I got a surprise for us. And he's got this big box of like Klondike bars, you know, the ice cream. And uh, he's like, you, you want to have one? And I looked at him like he had 10 heads. I'm like, dad, I'm playing two games tomorrow. You know, I think I was 14 or 15 at the time. And I'm so grateful that I'm not the type of athlete that can just kind of wing it because I really am passionate about like physical nutrition, physical health, mental health, because I feel that because I have the weakness of not being able to just wing it, I have this strength of being able to build it and do it anyway. And I find it's, it's so important, uh, definitely for anxiety management, you know, performance anxiety during the season. Like you want to, you want to really sweat, you know, on how you played last night, like have three glasses of wine after the game and and see how you wake up and feel about that turnover you had. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the, the interesting question about the guys that wing it is how good they could be if they weren't. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of thing is like, you don't get those years back. Right. And if you're crushing McDonald's and just, you know, still great, you could have been the best. Awesome. You know, you could have won more Stanley cups. Like, I don't think me as a person, I always think what you do when no one's watching is what you'll do when everyone's watching. Um, I don't think you want to, you know, you can't turn it on and off. Like greatness doesn't happen that way. You know, achieving your goals never happens that way. Uh, I feel like shortcuts always catch up to you in life. So true. So true. I, I, the, the hack, the, the shortcut, it's, it's, it's a fallacy. I think so, personally. I mean, there are like hacks like, okay, you do this and it will help you in this way. Sure. Like there's some things that, you know, people just aren't used to or don't have around in their area. And like, I'm always open to, you know, trying different things. But I think the problem with life is usually the things that relate to success are hard. They're things we don't necessarily like doing, you know? Um, And if it weren't hard, everyone would do it. Yeah. I'll share this. Like one of my goals eventually you know, it'd be to launch, for example, like a mental health initiative where it was almost like a mental health uh, carnival, right? So, you know, instead of your your typical like, you know, fair or whatever, where you get your ticket, you go on a bunch of amusement rides, eat like a fried corn dog or whatever, you know, like it was the opposite. It was uh, this station here is like immersive cold tub. And then over here is like infrared sauna and, you know, maybe like, you know, red light therapy with a juve or whatever. And then over here is or, you know, uh, organic food and smoothies and different things you can eat and do. And then over here is like a grounding yoga session. You can just like go around all day and see how these little shifts add up. Not so much as that they're hacks, but with the idea of like introducing them to people who may not make these things habits um, on their own, just to see the sort of autonomy that you can have over your mental well-being. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think you know, even in North America, there's a lot of kids that struggle or like areas that are overlooked, right? By funding, by resources. And, you know, you don't grow up to be happy adults or or doing well when you don't have, you know, you don't feel like you have a future. So yeah, I think there's a lot of like, you know, public policy or like social work that needs to be done to to really help the general society, not just the chosen few, right? In terms of like mental health. Let's use the last little bit of this podcast together to, I want to go through an exercise so I can stand in as any theoretical ex-hockey player, right? Okay. So, you know, yeah. maybe I'm, you know, the coach of the OHL team that you own. Maybe I'm the, the GM, whatever, um, or vice versa. And we wanted to build a group 
you know, that was diverse, that was, you know, cutting edge, how would we go about uh, together constructing this? Like what would be as a business leader, your way of, of going about whether there was the interviewing process, where would you particularly try to look for um, talent as if this was a real thing? Like say we bought, you know, the Plymouth Whalers that were coming back <laughs> um, and, and you were running it. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a tough question because I guess from like the analytics side, obviously, like we have a lot of data, we do a lot of modeling, whether it's like unexpected goals, so like the probability that someone will score or who set up those goals or possessions or more information on goalies, because as we know, you know, goalies can help a lot in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a lot of more data and analytics and modeling available to understand players better. So Essentially, the whole idea of Moneyball is getting players that people have either overlooked or undervalued for certain reasons and acquiring them and building a team that, you know, works together and wins. Um, so, you know, if I was working with a GM and coach, the, you know, perspective from an NHL team is definitely to win a Stanley Cup. Sometimes for like younger teams, though, too, in, in terms of like being in the OHL, you want players to develop. You want fun hockey. Um you know, I always think I want like a 3-3 game going to overtime, get some good scoring, you know, good good goaltending. But yeah, good blend of everything. Yeah, exactly. Like I like that type of hockey. So for me, from like a league perspective, I always want to have a bit of parity and construct teams that have, you know, different pieces and win differently. So, um, you know, I would look at uh, for sure at the analytical side, but I would definitely look at other departments that have been a bit more traditional and, and think of uh, people that I've met and places that, you know, they maybe didn't know who I was, but, uh, you know, kind of do the same as startups, like recruit the best people, recruit people who think differently, um, build a team that can work together in terms of like management, scouting, um, you know, sports science, analytics, research side. Don't just limit it to one area or one data set, but really look at, you know, hockey from a whole um, where we're going with with, you know, sport in general. So. I take a lot of uh, information and insight into, you know, soccer, baseball, uh, basketball. And the nice thing about being outside their sport is they'll tell me a lot more than they would if I was working with a competing team. So, so true. Uh, lucky that I learned from a lot, a lot of people that are a lot better than me in terms of what they've accomplished. But, you know, trying to chase down uh, that dream uh, of using that experience, using my business experience, leadership experience into building uh, something that's not just a flash in the pan either, right? You don't want to just win one year and that's it. You want to build the the culture. You want to build accountability. You want to build people that are open, right? Open to others, open to collaboration, players that are as well. Because I think, and I mean, people say this all the time about analytics, but you can have the best model or the best ideas uh, if players or coaches are not willing to implement them. It really doesn't ma matter, right? You have to win and play on the ice. Uh, and the players are, are essentially the end goal of, of who you either want to change or you want to evaluate. So um, you need that blend from right from the top, right to the bottom. And I mean, to me, and I think this is actually a Rob, Robin Sharma thing too, which I saw you had him on yeah. your podcast is he's, he's no one's man. unimportant, right? The assistant equipment manager, the, you know, person in the elevator, they all create a company culture, a team culture. And I think valuing everyone for what they do is, is the key to making a long-term successful, great organization. That's awesome.
I really appreciate that perspective. And, uh, you know, I, I guess we can end on, on this quote when, when asked how, you know, Hockey Analytics Night in Canada was going and is still going. He said, quote, I'm just happy that people are connecting and learning something from it. And what does that mean to you in terms of being able to help educate and bring people together? Because it came up too in the, in the PK Subban podcast. I think it came through in, in our time here together, uh, together today where like you do genuinely care about others. You are genuinely open-minded. And these are things that, you know, maybe they're softer traits in a very hard, you know, hockey world. Um, but I think that, I mean, what's better than that? Like we all grew up with that golden rule, like to treat others, how we want to be treated. And, and we all, you know, I know as someone that I'm, I wake up every day doing anything to get better, like a good teacher, someone that's willing to, to help shave time off my learning process, my learning curve. Like I am so grateful for, you know, the great teachers that I've had in my life, but what does that, you know, quote mean to you and, and how are you going to continue to apply it? You know, as we try to unravel out of this, you know, quarantine-esque, uh, you know, element that we're in. Well, and I think that's the tough thing with social media, right? I think people will read or click a bad article far faster than they want to hear about people's successes. And my main goal, whether it's social media or in real life, is I love giving good feedback and being honest. If someone does something well, that is where my mindset goes. I love, you know, encouraging people, uh, being positive. I feel like that element of your personality of your mindset really makes you a happier person as well. So, you know, it's unfortunate that our lives right now are, you know, a lot of times built on like clickbait or the media is, and they just thrive over what they think is like maybe something going wrong. Um, so I've just decided in my life that I ignore 99.9% .9 of that. I'm not that person. I don't engage in it. I don't support people who are like that. Um, there's a lot of misogyny in sports, sports media, I acknowledge it, but it doesn't make me change who I am, what I do or who I associate with, um, you know, and and maybe it's limiting and maybe I have less options, but that's the life I want to lead. That's life that I feel like I admire in others. And I want those qualities, whether, you know, it's within my family or uh, my company. I, I hold everyone to that same standard. So whether it's the golden rule or just creating that environment where positivity is rewarded. And if you want to gossip or you want to say bad things about people, you better look inward because, you know, that's coming from a place usually of insecurity. Um, I don't think it's just one pie and we all fight for scraps. I think that you can create amazing companies, amazing brands, um, and everyone can win and build, you know, their lives and their opportunities. And, you'll attract that, that much better people. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of my pitch even in sports, right? In hockey is like so easy to be negative or hard on people, but I think we alienate more future fans um, because no one wants to go into this toxic environment where you're constantly ripping apart everyone. People want, you know, to be happy, especially after COVID. I think, you know, we have to sell hockey as this amazing, fun sport with like great athletes in it that are, you know, really providing not only entertainment, but this game that, you know, we all love. Um, so I feel like having that mindset, that positivity, bringing uh, great people into the fold, highlighting them, putting them in more media, having them on more, you know, national TV, I think can really change people's perception, not only of sports, but of hockey. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping, I think we're seeing it, 
you know, as, as a lot of guys were sitting at home, you know, bored with with plenty of time and, and personality to show, guys, uh, you know, started to open up. And I think it's been a, a good step in the right direction for hockey. I think, you know, you mentioned the Raptors earlier. That's what makes, you know, the NBA so intriguing. Like, I'm not an avid NBA fan, but I know who Steph Curry is. I know who his wife is. I know who his shoe line's with. I know about James Harden and the beard. And there's, they do a, the NBA just does a really cool job at infiltrating, you know, media in their story. And uh, there, there's a flair for the individual. Still respect for the team and the organization, which hockey's so, you know, famous for. But, right. you know, uh, I'm hoping that hockey continues to, you know, share the brilliance behind these athletes. Even like the other day, I was sharing with my younger brothers the YouTube clip of McDavid's knee when he came back, whatever it takes. Like I hadn't seen, wow. you know, the yeah. clip yet. And uh, I, I don't know how I missed that on on YouTube. And I just seen it in like the last couple of weeks. And I thought, you know, how incredible, you know, when uh, the Jordan documentary was coming out every Sunday, like that was must see TV here in the US. I couldn't, you know, I, how cool would it have been to see a story on Mario Lemieux and his return from, you know, cancer at that time or, or Gretzky and going through the trade. Like I'm a pro hockey player. I grew up an avid fan and there's still so many stories that I don't know or haven't had access to just because, you know, I feel hockey sometimes a little shy with the, you know, the, the telling of, of personal triumph and, and tribulation. I'm hoping there's a little bit of a shift there. I don't think our sport will it'll be long before we can be considered boastful. I don't think that's the core nature of, of most guys and teams, right, as you know, right. you've worked in the industry. Um, but I'm hoping there's a little bit more, a little more color, a little bit more fun, you know, that, uh, that comes out of the individual. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I think it's, you know, there's a bright future for the NHL and hockey in general. We just have to embrace it. Yeah, I hope we will. I hope we will. Megan, this was awesome. Thanks for your time. Yeah, you I uh, really well. appreciate it. I, I wish you all the best in business and in hockey. And, and you know, I'm curious to see, you know, where you end up owning and, and you know, how the team <laughs> fares and, you know, 5, 10, 15, who knows? Maybe your goals change by then. But um, <laughs> this was awesome. Thanks for coming on the, you know, Curious Competitor podcast. I had a lot of fun and, and uh, learned a lot today from yourself. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Have a great Sunday. All right. You as well. Talk soon. Thank you, everyone, for joining Megan and I uh, as we just finished an, an awesome podcast. What a breath of, of fresh air and brightness she is uh, in the hockey world. I, I really want to bring attention to three traits and um, qualities that Megan really identified as keys to her success. One was uh, open-mindedness as a business and thought leader. I think that a lot of uh, Megan's you know, business plan is to identify gaps in other people's processes and, uh, you know, everyday operations. And if she's not looking in the mirror and trying to identify those in her own business, um, you know, she's not upholding the standard that she so clearly holds for herself. Number two, I really appreciated Megan's relationship with both, both short and long-term goal setting. Uh, she had this, you know, beautiful process in which she mentioned both at the you know, on the daily uh, sort of block, she will, you know, calendar everything out and schedule what's what her priorities are for her. But also she will have sort of six month reflection periods where after, you know, uh, five, six months, she'll sit down and, and audit how she's doing in business, what uh, mentors or leaders uh, she's really gaining a lot from and, and who she may want to, you know, follow up with. And then third, you can definitely tell uh, curiosity is a fuel source that drives Megan. She is so engulfed in the process of being her best self uh, day in, day out, that you can tell she's totally pulled into her work. It's not something she 
really views the grind every single day, although I'm sure there are certain days that are that are harder than others. Uh, but she certainly has a passion uh, for what she does. And I think that it, it really allows her to enjoy the growth, the ups and downs uh, day in, day out, both from a mental resiliency standpoint um, and, and from a physical wellness standpoint, as you, as you can tell that both of those things are important to her as a, a still budding and, and young entrepreneur. So thank you uh, to all of our guests from wherever you are in the world today. Please continue to like, uh, subscribe, and comment on the podcast. I try to read all of them. I, I really appreciate uh, your feedback. Please continue to share with friends and family that you think uh, will enjoy this conversation week in, week out. Thank you for joining us. And I look forward to next week as we both uh, continue on our quest to become a more curious competitor. <laughs>